0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDSE.
1: Welcome to the Resident Evil Lorecast, the podcast that will explore the various mediums and lore of the Resident Evil franchise, such as the video games, movies, novels, and more. And here are your hosts, Ariel, Daniel, and Aaron. Got something that might interest ya. <laughs> Well, welcome back to the Resident Evil Lorecast. I'm your host, Taryn. And joining me are my co-hosts, Ariel. Hello. And Daniel. Hi. And today we're going to be discussing Resident Evil 1 monsters and characters. Or B.O.W.s for Daniel. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. So without further ado, let's just go ahead and dive right into this because I'm excited to find out more about these two characters.
0: I believe I'm going first, or do you...
2: Probably Chris first.
0: Okay. (laughs) All
1: right, let's hear about Chris.
0: So, Captain Chris Redfield is an American operator in the Bioterrorism Security Assessment Alliance, in which he has served since its foundation in 2003. Redfield has built up and dedicated his career in destroying bioorganic weapons and fighting against producers and sellers of bioweapons after his experiences with bioterrorism in 1998. He is the older brother of TerraSave member Claire Redfield. Woo! So, early life and Air Force career.
1: Air Force career. Mm.
0: Not much is known about Redfield's early life, except that he and Claire had lost their parents at some point before 1998, having only each other as family. As an adult, Redfield joined the United States Air Force, where he received flight training for both planes and helicopters. He served in a unit alongside Barry Burton, whom he befriended. Redfield held strong convictions that often put him at odds with his senior officers and he either resigned in protest or was discharged for insubordination during this period Redfield also trained with a variety of weapons including knives and was known for his skills in hand to hand combat and marksmanship which he won a contest for ooh let's go into his law enforcement career After leaving the Air Force, Redfield was scouted in 1996 by the Special Tactics and Rescue Service, a special law enforcement unit in Raccoon City. He accepted the invitation and was appointed point man for Alpha Team, where his flexible talent for precise handling of multiple firearm types earned him distinction as the unit's top marksman. His shooting skills also had Redfield participating in the Raccoon Police Department's intramural shooting competitions, for which he won at least one trophy. Surprised he didn't win them all. Right? Together with Burton, Redfield solved a number of difficult cases, though he often acted on his own initiative. His methods were often successful and as a result, faced little to no consequences for his actions. Chris befriended several STARS members in his time with the unit. Chris became close friends with fellow Alpha Team member Jill Valentine and together formed a strong bind as partners, with both of them having complete trust in each other. Chris would also befriend his commanding officer, Albert Wesker, and at the time regarded him as a dependable and effective leader. Redfield also trained his younger sister when she visited him and gave her a golden lighter and his star's knife as a gift, favoring a large combat knife instead. In 1998, Redfield, along with Valentine, Burton, and Wesker became a part of the test group for the development of the Beretta 92F custom Samurai Edge that was being specially developed for the members of STARS by Robert and Joseph Kendo of Gunshop Kendo, who supplied the unit with most of their custom firearms.
1: Now that part's really cool.
0: Yeah, that is pretty cool. Redfield would eventually receive his own custom Samurai Edge, which had a blued hard steel finish slide and a silver gilded stainless steel trigger with the dark blue stars medallion. Per Redfield's request, minor internal modifications were done to make his Samurai Edge a competition ready weapon with a medium weight slide and adjusted trigger pull. Now, the rest of what I have on Chris is during the mansion incident. So we've already covered that. I'm not going to bother going into
1: that. Yeah. Um, So I want to highlight some things about Chris here. He has a competition ready Samurai Edge. That's nuts. Because then that thing means it's lightweight And it has a faster, easier trigger pull.
0: I'm not really a gun aficionado, (laughs) so.
1: Well, the the really incredible part here is the fact that every member of the Stars team has been issued, by the sounds of it, a Samurai Edge. Originally, we were led to believe it's a, you know, Albert Wesker exclusive kind of thing. You know, but now we're, you know, we're learning that it's every Star members had one, which is pretty cool.
0: That is pretty cool. Overall, Chris is just a badass beefcake.
2: <laughs> I mean, people will find out four games from now, too. So,
0: <laughs> the boulder crusher.
2: Right.
1: So, let's move on to our next character,
2: Jill. All right. So, I guess it's my go. Mm. All right. So, I'm going to give a couple of short facts first okay. on her. So, she was born in 1974. Okay. And uh, apparently her blood type is B. Just B? Yeah, it just says B. Okay. (laughs) So if anybody has B blood type... Yeah, right. ...you can (laughs) share her blood. (laughs) All right. Let's see here. Jill Valentine is an American Special Operations Agent of the Bioterrorism Security Assessment Alliance, much like Chris, of which she is co-founder and an original member she is a respected, high-ranking operator owing to her commitment in eradicating bioterrorism and her survival amid the biohazard—biohazardous outbreaks in the Arklay County in 1998. Mm-hmm. All right. Her early life, they don't give—just like Chris, they don't give much before her actual military career. All they really give early, early life-wise is uh, Jill's father was French and her mother was of Japanese descent—
1: That's interesting.
2: Then, looks like for her military career, in the early 1990s, Jill Valentine served in the United States Army and got the attention of recruiters for Delta Force, the nation's primary counterterrorism unit. Despite her sex, Valentine was allowed to take part in the six-month intensive operator training course where she excelled in bomb disposal and lockpicking and was known for her delicate, though precise work resilience, courage, and discernment amid the danger. This experience made Valentine one of the only women in the world with Delta Force training.
1: I was about to say, that's in, That's pretty impressive.
2: Yeah, see, I knew she was awesome. She's a badass. I don't know if she beats Rebecca, though. Physically, she does. I mean, Delta Force. Mm-hmm. We know I'm biased on that. Sometime in 1996... Valentine was recruited by Albert Wesker for the Special Tactics and Rescue Service, an elite unit of Raccoon Police Department that relied on military veterans and weapons trained scientists to solve serious crimes in Raccoon City, having only joined the unit due to their strong commitment to justice and desire to experience the true feeling of life. My first question before I continue is what city determines that you need this highly trained force? <laughs> I mean, you could already have SWAT. I mean, these guys are probably like SWAT. These guys
1: are like six levels above SWAT. Yeah,
2: so what What are you already...
1: See, here's the thing. I wonder... I'm Here's my thing. I wonder if Umbrella did not fund a large portion of Raccoon City to the point where they were like, you're going to have a special tactic unit. Because we know the entire STARS unit was hand-selected to be test subjects against the BOWs. So they chose the best of the best to put up against these BOWs. So I'm wondering if Raccoon Stars unit wasn't one of these things where like, Umbrella's like, we'll give you more money, Raccoon City, but we want a special tactics unit.
2: Because we know we're going to screw up later.
1: Yeah, because even then, it even says that Umbrella started Stars for the purpose of having test subjects against these bigger BOWs.
2: I mean, they, they must have been paid a lot of money to let a near military force, right? a small military force, not yeah. like a, a militia. But I mean, still. these
1: guys are the smartest, the strongest and the fastest.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. You can have your own elite SWAT unit. That's even better than SWAT.
1: They have the first female Delta Force member on their team. I mean, like enough said there.
2: <laughs> well, technically, that's a secret, which I'll get into. They actually don't know that she's uh, Delta well, Force. Then continue for us. <laughs> All right. Which right here is what it is. <laughs> Despite keeping her special forces training and personal life a secret, she made friends with several stars members during this time, including Chris Redfield, with whom she developed a close friendship and partnership and under whom she often trained in marksmanship along with Forrest Spire, who she already had a close friendship and knew before stars. Thanks. In part to both having served in the United States Army. So it looks like Forrest Spire, Spire Spire was also in the United States Army. By July 1998, Jill became the only woman to join Captain Wesker's Alpha Team as the team's breaking and entering specialist. Positioned at the rear in maneuvers was STARS helicopter pilot Brad Vickers. So she has a lot of firsts for her. Yeah, I can see. Both from the military and Alpha team. <laughs> yeah. And it looks like most of the other information until the future games mm-hmm. is the mansion incident. So we'll stop there for yep. now.
1: So here's, here's my takeaway from this. Jill is a badass. Yet Capcom decided she needed Barry's help And the zombies had to be a little bit weaker. Yep. She was Delta Force. Like, I'm sorry. Chris is awesome. But Jill is way more badass than Chris. I feel like Chris should have had weaker zombies (laughs) and more item slots. And Barry should have helped him at this point. (laughs) Jill really don't need no man.
2: I mean, if we get a remake of one, maybe they'll do it like that. (laughs) (laughs) We already have... Two remakes. Well, I mean, like <laughs> a remaster.
1: A remaster of the remaster. Yes. <laughs> what do you think, Ariel? What do you think about all this?
0: Yeah, I think it's great. <laughs> <laughs> now, I would love to see. It's talking about remakes, mm-hmm. I would love to see uh, Resident Evil one be given justice like two and three yes. were. that would be great regardless if jill gets barry or not yeah. like i would love to see the type of remake that they just made for two and three.
1: Oh yeah oh yeah i would play the crap out of that remake because <laughs> one is one of my favorites but on that note let's uh go ahead and take a quick break And then after the break, we will start to dive into our B.O.W.'s. Well, we heard those gunshots. It's time for the middle of the show. Ariel, what have you brought us this week? Always first. (laughs) So,
0: I have brought from PlayStation's latest ad. Oh, so, the new live-action marketing video mm-hmm. contains a logo from Resident Evil 4. Oh? Yes. PlayStation's latest marketing video contains an Easter egg that could be referencing the unannounced Resident Evil 4 remake. Oh. As spotted by fans this weekend, Sony Interactive... Entertainment's latest live-action ad contains a symbol used in Resident Evil 4 for the Lost Plagas Parasite. Sony often often references its first-party franchises and live-action adverts. The latest video also contains a Sly Cooper logo, for example. But the Resident Evil 4 nod is notable as the game is both unannounced and historically not a PlayStation exclusive.
1: So, you're saying that there may be a PlayStation exclusive Resident Evil four remake in the works, possibly ooh, let's hope,
0: <laughs> yeah, and I know we talk about the four remake a lot That just yep. popped up because now it's like, ooh, this could be a real thing,
1: yep. I mean, they we eights out It's great. We already know they're coming out with DLC and ads or add-ons and, you know, things like that. We know it's coming. The one thing we don't know much about is the Resident Evil 4 remake. We know that the, you know, Oculus Quest 2 VR version is coming out. It's already been announced, but everybody is highly, highly anticipating this Resident Evil 4 remake to come. Uh,
0: definitely me. <laughs> definitely me.
2: All right, Daniel, what did you bring for us this week? All right, I brought merchandise again. Yes. So on the website, Just Geek they have it almost looks like a night light in a way the size of it so it's a smaller light with the um, official Resident Evil Umbrella Corporation logo so it's the Ooh. the red and white symbol oh okay so it runs 36 dollars i assume that's before shipping and its size is it's nearly 8 inches in height nearly 8 inches in width and then about 2 inches deep so It's It's
1: pretty decently sized then. It's not terribly small, but it's not terribly big either.
2: So they do have that on there and it does. It just looks kind of squarish. It's black and then it's got the Resident Evil logo on it. Mm -hmm. So if you do want to find that on Just Geek, you can look up the official Resident Evil Umbrella Corporation lamp. And after this episode is posted, I will put it in the Discord for anybody who wants to. Look at it.
0: Yes. More things I need to buy.
1: More things we need to buy. <laughs> I do love the fact that you do bring some pretty cool merchandise to every episode every week. It's it's pretty exciting to see what new merch Daniel's going to bring
2: every week.
0: I'm pretty sure any Resident Evil merch is exciting.
2: <laughs> I would say 99.99% of the time. So,
1: so I've got something a little... Different this week that I've brought. Um, It was brought to our attention in the Discord by Goose is Me that there is, you can get, obviously, we know you can get the RE Outbreak games, the one and two on Steam, but there is a uh, fan made server. So back in the day, they shut the servers down for the Outbreak games because they're like, all right, we're, you know, new consoles, new games, we're going to shut these servers down to save space and money however fans have taken upon themselves now to make new fan-made servers and if you want to set that stuff up at home Goose is me was also polite enough to send us a youtube link Um, and that youtube is the youtube channel where you can get all the impro to do that is ollie the zombie 13 and that's a l i the zombie 13 go to the youtube channel and you can look up a video on how to do it and the you know description of it and everything um i think here soon me and ariel discussed it i think here soon we're going to do that set it up for ourselves and then we're going to have some uh fan play nights yes (laughs) and Um, we can jump into other multiplayer resident evil games and stuff too but yeah i was gonna
0: say daniel as well
1: Mm -hmm. daniel doesn't count (laughs) why not no, Daniel will be there. Me and Ariel will be there. Um, we're going to get the logistics sorted out on that. And then here soon, hopefully, we'll uh, start playing RE games with everybody. Um, but that's what I brought. And on that note, I think it's a good time to jump into our BOWs. Yeah! All right. And we're back from our mid-break. Let's dive into these B.O.W.'s, shall we? We shall. And I believe Ariel's up first for this one. Yes.
0: First, I'm going to discuss the adders.
1: The adders. Ooh. Now, let's... What do these things look like?
0: They look like adders. <laughs> no, they are snakes.
1: Snakes. Okay. So, adder Snakes. snakes.
0: Yes, the term adder refers to any of a number of viper species found around the world, of which the pit vipers can be found in North America. Yes. <laughs> a number of adders native to raccoon forest and living in and around the grounds of the Arklay Laboratory were infected with the E strain after eating mutant animals. Most did not exhibit major mutations apart from a more potent venom though the yawn which we will discuss later on mm-hmm. exhibited rapid production of growth hormones the normal sized adders continue to live and hunt in the trees as they have done before dropping on warm blooded animals and that's what i have on the adders so they're snakes. just snakes yeah they're just snakes <laughs> still don't want to encounter them though
1: especially when they're dropping out of trees on you <laughs> Ugh. Wow,
0: this is- All right. Next, I'm going to discuss the black tiger.
1: Ooh. Now, what does this one look like?
0: A black tiger. No, I'm (laughs) just kidding. A spider.
1: A giant spider.
0: Yes, not just a spider.
1: That thing is huge. Yes.
0: So, the black tiger was a spider that had undergone excessive mutation, increasing its size three to six times that of a normal web spinner's due to prolonged infection of the t-virus oh snap (laughs) also unlike the ironically named web spinner it was actually capable of producing a web so here's a little bit of history due to the web spinner's unpredictable nature bow research on the specimens was suspended and the subjects supposedly destroyed This specimen had an unusual reaction to the virus, becoming a larger and more deadly version. With the mansion compromised by a T-virus outbreak, the spider population was no longer controlled. This allowed the black tiger to reside with its web spinner siblings in the underground caverns below the courtyard by making nests for itself and other web spinner specimens. (laughs) Yeah. So if you have arachnophobia
1: bring us a lot of
0: chemicals. (laughs) (laughs) And next, I'm going to discuss the chimera. Now, if you ask me what this looks like, I'm going to tell you, look it up yourself.
1: (laughs) That's not how podcasts work.
0: Well, this says it's based on a human fly. Oh. But it it's it's pretty gross and gruesome Mm -hmm. so chimera was a bioweapon product developed by the umbrella corporation manufactured in the arclight laboratory sometime before may 1998 it was a human fly hybrid named after a monster of greek mythology itself a combination of different animals umbrella began using their newly developed t-virus strains on animals soon after their founding however they were met with problems with their practicality such as a lack of intelligence or insufficient strength increases which eliminated the web spinner as a reliable weapon In its place the chimera project was started which intended to graft insect dna into human embryos Homeless women were abducted by umbrella agents and forcibly impregnated with the modified embryos. Out of various insect-human hybrids that were envisioned as bioweapons, it was a fly-human hybrid that was chosen for continued study. It was subsequently cloned to produce identical bioweapons. Due to their many flaws, further research into more advanced forms was never conducted and the Chimera's basic form was never refined to the lengths of the hunter or the tyrant. No wonder why they're annoying, because they're part fly. (laughs) And next up is everyone's favorite, Crimson Head. Yes! I say everyone's favorite, it's probably not, but it is one of mine, so...
1: Worst one to fight.
0: (laughs) So... The crimson head is one possible mutation a zombie can experience depending on the strain of T-virus it is infected with. The VACT process is responsible for its crimson skin earning it its name. Huh. Crimson heads were the result of the unforeseen effects of the E-strain on the human body. The strain, developed for the Tyrant Project, was released in the Arclay Laboratory during a lab accident. As the facility staff had no experience with Crimson Heads, aside from the brief violent encounter with Crimson Head Prototype 1, they were at a disadvantage and an informal policy began to destroy the bodies of zombies to prevent further mutation. And that there is the Crimson
1: Head. So something I wanted to say earlier about the Chimera. Just when we think Umbrella couldn't get any worse, they kidnap homeless women. (laughs)
0: <laughs> now we touch on that.
1: I meant to say something earlier. <laughs> and then I, we got so caught up on the fly and discussing this that I forgot. But now I remember they're terrible people and they just keep getting worse.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, there's no links that they won't go to clearly. I feel like that was kind of a letdown on the information with the crimson head though.
1: I know. That was a, that was a I mean, they are a lot more, they are a lot more prevalent, I think than, The information we have gives them. I mean, they are tough to kill and they are faster and more vicious.
0: Yeah, the only good thing was you could get rid of a majority of them beforehand by lighting the corpses on fire before they turn.
1: Yes. Yeah. That
0: was like the only good thing. But then you'd have to, you know, actually do that because I remember we kind of were like, eh, we don't need to set them on fire. (laughs) <laughs> and then we were like, oh yeah, yeah, we do. We really do. Mm-hmm. So when the first
1: Crimson Head popped up. Yeah. Let's let's
0: backtrack and you know, go back and actually light these on fire. Okay. So next one is the Gold Tyrant.
1: Gold Tyrant. Gold
0: Tyrant. However, this was an enemy unique to the Sega Saturn port of Resident Evil, so yeah, okay. <laughs> it is literally a gold tyrant. Unique to the battle game mode in terms of appearance, it is almost identical to the two tyrants encountered in the main game, only with a golden skin tone.
1: Does it make it harder to kill? <laughs> <laughs>
0: If treating this boss as part of the Resident Evil canon, it would have been created in May 1998 alongside the other tyrant prototypes at the Arclay Laboratory. I I wish it was canon, to be honest, because they're already... <laughs> tyrants are already terrifying. Just imagine a gold one coming at you, shimmering all pretty. <laughs>
1: <laughs> as bullets bounce off. ting I know.
0: I wanted to say it just because I thought it was... Funny and I
1: mean, it is interesting the fact that Sega Saturn had their own special creature. You know, it is still pretty cool.
0: Yeah, I mean, I kind of wish we had a gold tyrant. Yeah, <laughs> well, I was gonna say a Sega, so that's like uh, so we could fight the gold tyrant. Anyways, so let me go on to Monster Plant. You know what this looks like?
1: Is it a Monster Plant? It
0: is. <laughs> It was infected by T virus contaminated water.
1: That is terrifying. That is super terrifying.
0: Contaminated water. That's that's more terrifying than the plant. Anyways, transforming its vines into mobile appendages that prevent intruders from proceeding further into the room. And that's that's about it on this nasty monster plant.
1: I mean, it is vicious, it is giant, and it is terrifying.
0: I'm sorry, I'm still stuck on the whole contaminated water.
1: Yeah, see, that's <laughs> something I wanted to bring up when we get to the end of talking about all these games. How many zombies died and fell into the water, yet nobody was infected? From
0: Well, I mean, I don't want to get too far ahead. I'm just getting the brains turning. <laughs> So, the next and last one that I am doing is Neptune.
1: And that's the shark, isn't it? Yes. Yes.
0: Neptune was a subspecies of great white shark developed by Umbrella as bioweaponry. They were named after the Roman god of the sea, referencing the great white shark's reputation as the king of the seas. The Neptune project began early on in the Arclay Laboratories' research into animal bioweapons. As their test subjects, they transported several adult great white sharks and infected them with the A-strain. The research team was disappointed with the results, with little significant change. Much of the research team moved on to other projects, and most of the subjects were disposed of. A female was left... continued research when it was discovered she was pregnant the staff monitored her carried 12 pups but 10 died soon after hatching the remaining two survived and were subject to further study into the possibility of creating self-fertilizing bows as an alternative to cloning but chose against cloning them during the viral outbreak in the Arclay laboratory, a mother Neptune and her spawn were inadvertently released from their water tanks by a scientist who had suddenly gone mad and destroyed the tanks, badly flooding the entire aqua ring. These sharks were later killed when the entire aquatic lab was drained, exposing them to the air. And that is Neptune.
1: I feel like they deserved a way better death.
0: I don't know. They're sharks. So.
1: <laughs> What's the one thing that can kill them? Oxygen.
0: Like, I need a Resident Evil Shark NATO here with zombie sharks. Just little zombie Neptune.
1: Stop it. Nobody needs that.
0: I need it.
2: <laughs> I need it now. All right, Daniel. What do you got for us? All right. So I'm going to start with Plant 42. Which is basically an offshoot of the monster plants, but bigger. I
1: was going to say, this is the big one, the big daddy.
2: Yes. Plant 42 was a large plant infused with the T-virus and was originally part of an experiment on botanic subjects by umbrella researcher Dr. Henry Sartan. Or Sartan. The name location that the plant was growing on was 42 of the dormitory So the history behind Plant 42. Plant 42 was created by Henry Sarton, who injected a plant living in Point 42 with the T-Virus out of curiosity. Plant 42 proved to be completely unique and comparable to any other plant-based test subjects. Its roots buried deep through the wood and concrete in the residence and began feeding on the chemical-rich water of the aqua ring. Where there was some sharks. Hmm likely promoting further growth. Expanding its vines across the building, it used cracks in the flooring to attack passing staff members feeding on their blood. Oh, so it looks like this thing is, uh, what's that, like ivy. One of those plants that just mm-hmm. keep spreading. By May 21st, plant 42 had completely taken over a room of the dormitory. Able to... Able to manipulate doorknobs and move its vines, Plant 42 captured and drained several researchers of their blood when they tried to destroy it. It was discovered by Sartan's team that Plant 42 was sensitive to a chemical known as UMB number twenty, otherwise known as Fijolt. Also maybe an energy drink sometime down the road. <laughs> <laughs> Please no. Yeah. <laughs> A plan was devised to destroy it, involving feeding it directly to the roots. However, this plan could not be accomplished, either due to the continued deterioration of the researchers' health from T-virus infection or because of the escaped Neptunes in the flooded aqua tank chamber. Plant 42 was finally destroyed on the night of July 24th when stars searched the dormitory building.
1: Goodbye, giant plant. For
2: now fern now. Exactly. Ah. <laughs> All right. And we know how Ariel loves insects. Um, actually, I don't. <laughs> I know that's why I said it. <laughs> so much like the fly Chimera makes, these are human insect crosses. Ticks were bioorganic weapons developed by the Umbrella Corporation. Ticks were developed at the Arca Laboratory in the 1990s and appear to have been an arthropod based offshoot of the Hunter project. Ticks were designed as bipedal BOWs in a similar style to the Hunter A line. Aside from its brown skin and antennas, the primary difference between Ticks and the Hunter is the possession of sickle like arms, which were designed for cutting people to pieces in the dark.
1: Holy crap!
2: It's when they get their enemies in the dark. Yeah, and that's really all they've got on it, other than like hit. Other point. than it
0: giving you Lyme disease and the T virus. Yes. <laughs>
1: so it's T T Lyme disease. I really <laughs> T <tea> Lyme <laughs> sounds like a new drink. I like it. Uh <clears throat> so w- this is this is what's really interesting. When they came out with zero, they came out with, came out with zero so long after one had already been released. That a lot of people had the question of Why leeches? Nothing was ever mentioned about leeches However, knowing all the things We know now About how Umbrella was working On plants, on bugs, they weren't working on Anything they can get their hands on Leeches made sense Zero makes sense now
0: You know why leeches? Because <laughs> Because Umbrella
1: but it's not like they just picked up leeches and went, let's let's stick this with the needle. They were sticking multiple things with needles and finding different ways to contaminate. So but anyway, I digress.
2: All right. So next one we have is Lisa Trevor, which she's come up in a couple episodes in the past.
1: Yep, So we know a lot about her already.
2: So we're just going to have a brief little bit on her. So she was an American superhuman and the first person to become a progenitor adapter since at least the Neolithic. So, way back in the times. Wow. Trevor was abducted as part of a retroviral research project by what would later become Umbrella Pharmaceuticals. Having survived and mutated from exposure to a progenitor strain, Trevor's enhanced abilities made her a regular and reliable test subject in bioweapons research. Trevor's usefulness to the company ended in 1988 after 20 years of testing when a progenitor strain dubbed Golgotha virus, the one I like, was isolated in her blood. Trevor's abilities allowed her to survive her planned execution and she would go on to live in the mountains until 1998 when she involved herself in the mansion incident, ultimately dying when the facility was destroyed. So yeah that Yeah She had a lot of powers and you encounter her multiple times In the game
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Multiple times
2: Let's see here Next is Tyrant T002 Ooh
1: because
2: We love our tyrants This tyrant was part of the Arclay Laboratory's quest to develop the ultimate life form. The T-002 and its associated tyrant project was at the time top secret. T-002 was found to have intelligence almost at the same level as its human pre-infected form which would have allowed it to follow a wide variety of commands beyond that of the Hunter models had its life not been drastically cut short. Upon completion, T-002 was planned to be set up against the combat veterans in a live-fire exercise before clones were to be mass-produced. Development of T-002, however, was never formally concluded. During a procedure in May 1998, the interference of Queen Leech allowed T-002 an opportunity, opportunity to release as an airborne pathogen, infecting a number of researchers. Consequently, no written report was completed, and the BOW itself received no new bodily improvements following the addition of its altered cardi- cardiovascular system. Cloned embryos of T002 were successfully evacuated by Dr. Albert Wesker during a visit, but the tyrant itself was not evacuated when the quarantine was raised. In July, Wesker was given orders to destroy him during a S.T.A.R.S. team investigation of the above mansion, but instead released it from containment with the knowledge it could attack him. After stabbing Wesker, he turned its attention to the other Star survivors. Though he was knocked out soon after, his power limiter was disabled, allowing him to begin mutating into a super tyrant. He forced his way through the concrete of the Arklay Laboratory to catch up with the S.T.A.R.S. and fought them once more on the helipad where he was finally killed after suffering a direct hit from a rocket launcher.
1: Get it, rocket launcher.
2: We'll see. Let's see here. Wasp. Of course, because we love our insects still.
0: (laughs) More pterodactyls.
2: Wasp, of various species, were infected with T-virus strains. Oh, good thing we didn't have murder hornets back then.
0: <laughs> Just wait, they'll pop up. <laughs>
2: Go, Capcom! You have got the ideas now. Wasps around Arclay County were infected with these viruses in a number of manners. Mutant wasps were created. Ah, mutant wasps were created in May 1998 after feeding on the pollen of Plant 42. Oh, good job. Mm. Good job, Plant 42. Due to the accidental outbreak at the Arkley Laboratory, the staff were unable to control a mutant wasp nest. They didn't have the right exterminators. Clearly. With at least one man succumbing to the poison. A wasp nest at a nearby abandoned hospital was also contaminated by suckling on the nectar of the monster plant Dorothy. And let's see here. And it looks like they also will... Be a later case in the next two games so I'm not going to go further into mm-hmm. it but there's, there's not much more information on it so we'll, that will be all for the wasp so the last one that's going to have a good description of it is the yawn oh uh, here it is which is just like the adders except for it's according to this 40 feet in length and mm. 26,500 pounds yes I think we got an anaconda on our hands Let's see here. The yawn was an ex- experimental B.O.W. test subject created at the Arklay Laboratory. It was nickna- nicknamed yawn in reference to the way its mouth opens before attacking, which resembled a yawn. Oh, yeah. Just put your hand in there. <laughs> Adders lived around the Arkley Mountains with a number residing in the trees in the Spencer Mansion's courtyard. One of these snakes was taken inside as a research specimen and infected with an unidentified strain of T-virus. Gosh. The yawn grew to a considerable size and hormonally unstable, became too aggressive to control. As the Epsilon strain spread out across the laboratory personnel, they were no longer able to contain the snake, and it went on a rampage and likely killed a number of researchers while making the entire mansion its territory. The yawn encounters Star's Bravo team's members Richard Aiken and Rebecca Chambers as they explore the mansion hunting them through individual rooms until it cornered them. Aiken saved Chambers from harm but was mauled in the process and exposed to its venom. The yawn was later fought by a member of Star's Alpha Team in the attic but escaped through a fireplace before it could be killed. The yawn would later attack one of the Star's Alpha Team members again in a library where it was finally killed. So that's what I have on the yawn. And then BOWs that made an appearance in the game that we discussed in the episode for the Zero B.O.W.s are the baby spiders, the Cerberus dogs, the crows, that Aaron loves, <laughs> uh, the Hunter A. Strain, the web spinners, and the run-of-the-mill zombies. Can't forget those.
1: Of course not. I love the fact that in all of this, Umbrella's downfall was because they had way too many research projects going on at once and could not contain them. Because the wasps were because of the plant, and the uh, giant snake was because they decided to pump it with an unidentified T virus strain. And they just they're just doing too much at once.
2: I think it was just all cascade effectiveness. Mm-hmm. Because of course then plant forty two fed off the shark tank water yep so yeah it's all coming together a full circle yep just this game
0: <laughs> yeah
1: right so we we covered a lot um holy crap that's a lot of b.o.w.s in one game um i still think my favorite out of this one was probably i'm gonna have to say plant 42
0: Mine were the Crimson Heads, as I (laughs) said earlier.
2: How about you, Daniel? What was your favorite? Well, I mean, it's from the last game, too, but I think I'm going to go with the dogs, even though they didn't get much mention in this episode.
1: I mean, the iconic jump through the window as you go down the hallway. Yeah.
0: Or when you open the door.
1: (laughs) Surprise! (laughs) Yeah, don't try to leave the mansion again. (sighs) (laughs) So we covered a lot. We covered a lot about Chris, a lot about Jill. And we covered all our B.O.W.'s in this episode. Um, I mean, they're all... All the B.O.W.'s were extremely vicious. And I think we can agree that it was a cascade effect that caused the utter downfall of the mansion incident. Yes. So, with all that being said...
0: Uh, no. Oh! No. Because I have to put in my... This game is a really great game and you should really play it. (laughs) <laughs> Heart. So, listeners Overall, this game Was pretty amazing You have the Puzzles, the backtracking The everything of regular Resident Evil game With another great storyline You find out more Information, you encounter New creatures New characters So, overall, great game you should play it Definitely.
1: How many Leons out of five?
0: Four Leons out of five. <laughs> You're only going to get five Leons out of five when Leon is present. So maybe <laughs> the next episode.
2: <laughs> How many Rebecca's, Daniel? Well, mine's still going to be four, but you had Rebecca in it, so... That's. I guess I'll give it four and a half. I'll give the extra half because <laughs> four and a half. <laughs> in it, but not really playable.
0: You'll right. get about a five out of me when we cover two.
1: <laughs> right. Well, with all that being said, we've gone over everything. Guess it's time for us to go, guys. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us tonight on the Resident Evil Lurecast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, Tell a friend. Leave a comment and review. If you want to keep chatting with us about all things Resident Evil, you can find us on the Robots Radio Discord. You can also chat with us at Lurecast on Twitter. Till next time, stay safe out there. And remember, we might have something that might interest you, stranger. What up to Night City? You're listening to N54 Radio. This is DJ Sparks bringing you a new hit show from Night City, Cyberpunk, a Cyberpunk Red Live Play podcast. Listen as a ragtag group slamming on the corpos, survive the streets, and try to keep from being flatlined. You can tune in on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcast, or wherever else you get your podcasts. DJ Sparks out! Hello, this is Charlie Transmutation coming to you with another PSA announcement. No, Charlie, this is a commercial. What? Crap. Nobody told me that. Well, what are you supposed to do in this thing anyway? Well, Charlie, I'm glad you asked. This is the part where we introduce our new homebrew 5 e DD D&D podcast, The Fumbling Four and the Almighty Crit, where we explore the homebrew world of Alteris using homebrew rules and homebrew material from the Dungeon Master's Guild. Yeah, that boring. I'm out of here. See you later, Charlie. We hope to have you guys come check us out soon. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts.